We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, everybody? Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle is a brand new program here at Blue Wire where you can host your very own podcast. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discords, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll get your stuff all pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all those good places, the listening platforms all out there. And you can get all of this for $15 a month, the same rate any other hosting site will charge you um, just for initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And tonight was the second game of the Chris Finch era for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the Wolves lost to the Bulls in overtime 133 to 126. So that means we actually had a real game. You know, after last night's game, we talked a lot about how we couldn't really glean all that much about Finch from a 30 point loss outside of, you know, just kind of who played and how long they played for. And tonight we got more of that. We, it was the same starters. We saw who, who was on the floor, the 10 guys. But we also got, you know, real in-game specifics that played out in a close game. And I think I think you can take a lot more from the production in this game than you can from that Bucks game. Uh, you know, Cat, Ant, and Peasley, they combined to take 60 of the 104 shots, 20 apiece. 
I mean, when Cat wasn't in foul trouble, you could see what this offense was supposed to look like. You know, it was, it was through Cat, but with those other two as high-volume secondary options. I think that's what they want. You know, Malik obviously off the catch and then Ant off the drive. But Cat was in foul trouble, and that's what I want to focus on here to start. Obviously, his fouls kind of determine this game, and and that's because foul trouble matters. It, it sounds dumb, but... But it does. I mean, the Wolves got outscored by 19 when Cat was off the floor tonight. And that's been a pattern his whole career, right? Like this whole Cat getting fouls early and often thing isn't new. And I know that the sixth that sixth foul on the Levine was bogus, and we'll get to that. But, but we do know that this isn't just bad luck. I mean, Cat hasn't just got a bad whistle for six years. That's not it. He, he fouls too much. And it's not just fouling guys when he tries to block shots. I mean, tonight, two of his fouls were offensive. And, and for years, he's been a chronic offensive fouler. And and I do think this this is worth litigating now under Finch because you know clearly Finch is going to put the ball in Cat's hands a ton. I mean, this offense is going to run through Cat more than it ever has before, which is obviously a smart thing to do. But how and where they're going to give him touches or include him in the action, you know, that that's going to impact how much he fouls offensively. And if you've watched these, these two games, I mean, you're seeing a ton of cat touches up top, which often lead to those pass and chase actions, right? Where cat passes the ball to a wing and then he chases the pass into setting a screen. It's just, it's a nice action. It's a, it's a ton of screens though. And, you know, with that, it's only a matter of time before he, picks up offensive fouls there's just that's just the reality of being a big man and and setting screens there's an there's an element of of these type of actions that are just Russian roulette with fouls and I thought Jace Frederick asked Finch a good question about that after the game I want to start with that hey Chris it seems like Carl throughout his career really it's called for like about an illegal screen a game have you seen anything there early that you can work on to correct or is it a tempo thing or what I mean, what do you, what have you seen just early on so far in that? Well, he does a great job of screening. That's what that's first and foremost. There's a lot of guys in the league now are slipping out of screens. That, so they don't really make a lot of contact. Um, but I, I don't, I mean, I don't really know. I, I, I just, it's illegal screens. One of those calls, you just never know when it's coming. You just don't hope, you just hope it's not coming at the wrong time. It was 80% of the screens are often that are set out there are illegal in some capacity and mostly not called. I think, you know, um, it's a bit unfortunate with uh, I thought that play in the first half that you're talking about, I thought it was if they were going to call anything, it was maybe a, maybe a push off on Ricky. I was shocked when I found out it was like actually on cat. I followed up on this with Finch later in the press or just kind of asking if you have to adjust anything to relieve some of that risk of the cat fouls. And I know this seems like it's getting too deep and too obsessed with foul calls, but this is a long standing problem with cat and certainly not saying I know more than Finch but I just don't think they're I don't think Finch necessarily understands how much of a problem this has been before because I don't I don't think you can understand the cat fouling problem unless you kind of feel it like you can't just look up total fouls which obviously cat is up there in in total fouls or average fouls per game however you want to look at that Um, but you have to feel it because a lot of the times you feel Cat's foul trouble early on in the games, right? Like, and it doesn't necessarily linger to the fourth quarter, but when he's 
when there have been so many of those games where he picks up two quick fouls in the first quarter and he has to come out, or he picks up a third early in the second second quarter and he has to go sit down again. I mean, he might not pick up another foul the rest of the game, so it won't it won't show up as a, a high foul game, but it throws off the rotation. That's what I mean by you feel it. You know, it, it you feel it because it decreases the amount of minutes that Cat plays, which is obviously costly because Cat minutes are good. You know that. This is getting ahead of ourselves too, but that can cost you a playoff game. What if the Wolves are in the playoffs next season? I mean, how many of this of the in a, in one series, a seven game series, how many how many of the games would you bet that Cat isn't foul trouble for? Two, three. I mean, I'll set the over under on that at two and a half. And so if it's two, I mean, even say it's two, that that could easily cost you a series because it could cost you a game, it could cost you two games. We've just never really felt this in a profound sort of way because Cat has played in so few meaningful games in his career. And while he got in foul trouble tonight, I was thinking about this as he, you know, he sets one of those high screens and Ryan Archidiakono trips over him and Cat, you know, picks up an early offensive foul. And I was I was thinking about I was thinking about the Raptors and Sixers playoff series. You know, that one that ended in the the Kawhi Leonard shot. Um you know, that season before the Raptors went on to win the championship. I mean, that was their real challenge in the playoffs was their series against Joel Embiid and the Sixers. It was really interesting in that series. I mean, the Raptors completely stopped using Marc Gasol as a screener on offense. And somebody pointed this out to me when, when it was happening at the time, uh, a, a coach that I know. And and I thought it was fascinating because why did they do that? Why did Marc Gasol stop being used as a, as a screener? Well, it was because... The Raptors, to win that series, Gasol had to be on the floor to guard Joel Embiid for all of Embiid's minutes. So they adjusted, and they stopped using Gasol as a screener because one unlucky game where Gasol got called for one or two unlucky offensive fouls, would have, it could have killed them. I mean, the key to that series was stopping Embiid, so having Gasol off the floor would have been deadly. So they adjusted accordingly. And I, I just think about that. I just think that at some point we have to start thinking about adjustments with Cat. You know, it, it's this is one argument for playing him in isolation or in post-up situations more frequently, right? Rather than at the top of the key. And I, you don't want to take away the top of the key stuff. I'm not saying that he's deadly up there, but maybe, maybe that doesn't have to be the place where he gets seventy percent of his touches. Or, or, I don't know, maybe the adjustment is defensive. Maybe you need to be intentional about not putting Cat in fouling situations on defense or just turning the dial down some. You know, Right now, by design, the Timberwolves' defense is explicitly structured to have Cat be the dropping big who defends the rim. Well, right, those situations are kind of Russian roulette too. You drop enough time in coverage with a guard barreling into you and, and you're going to foul some guys. You know, maybe that's an argument for playing Cat next to another big more often. Let another center be the dropping big while, so they can defend some of those shots at the rim, so they can pick up some of the fouls. And then Cat is tasked with at least occasionally defending the other big on the perimeter. I mean, that's just like the offensive stuff, right? Like, just like on offense, I'm not saying delete that from Cat's repertoire, but maybe rim de- defense can be a smaller part of the pie for him just because it will lead to less fouls. No, no, I maybe it doesn't need to happen right now. There's Wolves. Wolves got a lot of problems, and to focus on one with Cat, I realize sounds silly, but 
this cat's everything come back comes back to cat and this team is clearly right now they're okay when cat's out there and they're terrible when he's not and and to some extent that's always going to be the case if the next good timberwolves team is going to be great when cat's on the floor and okay when he's out and so i just do think the opportunity cost of cat fouling needs to be considered because of that and i think finch probably thought i was getting a little ahead of myself after the game when i asked him about it but I think it's an interesting question. Following up on that, that cat foul question, just because yeah. it has been an issue for, for a lot of his career, just in, in times where he's been in foul trouble. And I, I guess I'm wondering, is it like, what's kind of the opportunity cost of, of maybe not using him in screening situations as much, or maybe not having him be the drop pig. So he, he isn't, he isn't following as much. Do you just still kind of just have to live with that? Yeah, I don't. I'm, I don't foresee us having to change Cat's game to avoid foul trouble. It, you know, it happens every once in a while. I know he he plays physical. He plays hard. He contests every shot. He contests every pass. Like for the most part, he's putting himself in the mix. And uh, you know, when that happens, he's going to foul. And fouls are going to happen. And you know, he said to me, leaving one timeout, he said we were running a play, and I was, I was thinking about adjusting. He said, "Don't worry, I'll get him open." And uh, that's what you want. You know, that's what you want. I just, I mean, fourth quarter fouls are different than the first three fouls. And I think he got some fouls and maybe, um, um, you know, when the, as the game escalates physically, you know, um, maybe just got the wrong side. And again, I, I might just be down a stupid rabbit hole here. And, and maybe, like Finch said, it just was the wrong side. But I, I just don't think it's been six years of the wrong side with Cat. And... I'd be willing to bet this isn't the last time, even before the All-Star break, where we're talking about a game where Cat's foul trouble was an issue. And the other obvious elephant in the room here when it comes to adjustments is is just on Cat, right? <laughs> foul less. I mean, at the end of the day, this is on him. And and to Cat's credit, it, it you know, it has been less of an issue this season. We we haven't you know, we haven't felt the foul trouble in as many games this year, I would say. And it's hard to argue that a better approach with refs hasn't been the case with Cat this year. I think that's making a difference. Cat talked about that specifically, you know, after the game and, and also about what happened on that sixth foul call. So I want to get into that, but we're going to take a quick break first. What's up, everybody? We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know uh, great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of pro systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com 
and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50, M-O-O-R-E-5-0. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. All right, so where this game was lost was after Cat fouled out. I mean, after Cat picked up that sixth foul by a miracle that sent, you know, Ricky Rubio to the line for three free throws on a foul three. I mean, the Wolves made it to overtime. They did it without Cat. But Cat picked up his sixth foul with 12 seconds left in the game, and that was pretty much the death blow. And it was a really weird call. I mean, where if you didn't see the game, where Cat... He, he cut off Zach Levine's drive kind of on a trap up top. And then Levine pivoted away. And then a second later, the ref blew the whistle. It, it didn't it didn't make any sense live. It felt like a very late whistle. And apparently, Cat <laughs> explains what happened. It, it, it wasn't a normal situation. So here's what Cat had to say. You know, you said that you don't see a lot of contact. I haven't seen it on tape. Um, for my explanation, it was... Um, he, uh, the ref believed that I had grabbed Zach Levine's arm and he was also under, he said, uh, after a quick conversation, now he, he was also under belief that I guess he, we wanted to foul, you know? So he said that I think he thought he was doing me a favor by calling the foul because he thought it was like trying to get, stop the clock. And I was trying to explain to him that, you know, with a seven second differential, we wouldn't want to, foul especially with a guy with five so so they pretty clearly got screwed there but again you know back to talking about adjustments so as to prevent these situations from coming up time and again you know a big adjustment for adjustment for cat or a positive one is to is to not let calls bother him i mean in previous seasons we not only saw cat get consistently mad at the rest but we saw him we saw how that kind of sort of compounded right like he'd be pissed about not getting a foul call on one of his drives, and then he'd make a stupid foul and a frustration foul, right? And that isn't happening this year because Cat just isn't getting as caught up on the fo- on the foul calls, and you know, I just think that's big. I just wanted to finish the game. Um, you know, I, I think through my years being being looking at the mirror right now, kind of is. Um, You know, I, I, I look, especially with everything that's happened in my life and recently in this year and everything like that, I've really taken a step, you know, I've been forced to mature and reflect a lot on myself. And in that reflection and maturing, uh, I just don't find the things that when you're younger, you think are important is just not worth your time and energy. And especially with everything I've been through, I've been very you know, I've been forced to really focus my energy on certain things because I just don't have enough mental space nor energy to really give like a young, youthful person. I really got to focus on what do I really want to exhaust my energy on. Um, refs are not one of those things anymore. So I kind of just let it go. Um, I just want to talk to them. If you see an initial reaction, obviously, I think we all at home at fans and stuff may have the same reaction or not. But um 
I hope you guys, re you know, realize that, you know, I'm not really trying to argue with refs anymore. I got to focus on leading a team and being a leader. And if I'm over here arguing with every ref in the NBA, then what, what makes Ant and Jaden think that it's not okay to talk to refs or to argue everything and stuff like that? We're the example. We're the leaders, me and D'Lo. You know, we got to always set the example in every single aspect that comes with being being uh, attentive and shoot around. That means in practice coming with that energy and that pop that makes these young guys understand that these practices and shoot arounds are extremely important and vital and have to be taken with complete seriousness. And, um, you know, in my reflection and everything I've been through, I just realized how much energy I was putting into things that weren't going to change. And one of the things I always tell D'Lo, I remember one of the games I tell D'Lo, I said, you're, you're arguing with the ref. And I said, what has that done? Well, you know, I got to tell him. Dilo, we go into the locker room. The game's over. You can't change the call. We ain't all going to come about out the locker room and be like, oh, cool. We're going to replay that play again and give you another try. Like, that shit has never happened in NBA in the last, well, six years I've been in there. And at least I don't know how long you guys have been covering it. But, you know, it's not worth wasting your time. A call's made. It's not going to get overturned. It's not going to get changed. We just got introduced to challenging might as well let the play go worry about showing the young guys the right way of approaching refs and dealing with situations like that and and just you know obviously not wasting my energy we'll focus on the game at hand and trying to win instead of trying to win an argument on the theme of adjustments and just specifically related to adjustments around finch i want to kind of you know move on to the idea that there's for sure going to be adjustments in the finch era around playing more analytically motivated basketball right like we know after two games that very clearly pace is going to be emphasized i mean the wolves are playing faster than they ever have and they're going to shoot threes they shot 54 against the bucks and 38 tonight and right those they're doing that because analytically speaking playing fast getting transition opportunities that renders in the aggregate more points per possession just like how threes and shots at the rim are emphasized because they also have higher expected values. And I'm, I'm with all that. I, I, get, I get the logic. I think we all know that in a vacuum, emphasizing a certain type of play style is analytically profitable. And it's, it's just not always natural. And, and I asked Kat about that after the Milwaukee game the other night, and, and he talked just about how you know basketball is kind of feeling more and more like a science experiment. But with Kat... I, I don't think he's too concerned about, I don't think any of us are too concerned about playing more analytically sound basketball with Cat specifically. I mean, he was kind of built in an analytics lab. Like he's one of the best post players in the league. So he's going to get a lot of shots at the rim and he's the best shooting big in the league. So he's going to get a lot of threes. What I question is how this adjustment might impact a few of the other players. Like obviously D'Angelo Russell and his sh shot selection that sticks out here, right? But but really, the, the, the guy I've been thinking about most is Ricky. You know, I mean, Ricky can obviously get out and run. Um, he's a good transition point guard. But very much of Ricky's game is deliberate. You know, in the half court, he thrives most in structure. And structure is slower. He's also neither a three-point shooter nor a rim attacker. He's a guy who almost has to shoot from the mid-range because... That's really the only place on the floor he can really consistently get to. 
And that isn't, <laughs> that obviously isn't anal- analytically sound. But, but Ricky's also been, he's also been playing basketball for a long time, right? He didn't really grow up in the analytics movement. That wasn't a thing when he was drafted because, right? Like, <laughs> I think about it with the way we, you know, we grade prospects. And I don't think there's any way, not that Ricky wouldn't have been drafted or anything, but I don't think there's any way that a prospect with Ricky's skill set would have been drafted fourth overall now. I mean, how would we grade how would we grade a non-shooting point guard, you know, who who <laughs> I mean, I don't know, just where would that go? Where would that show up on the big board? I mean, Ricky's just more old school. He's a classic feel out the game and pick it apart point guard. I mean, that's part of the reason why he did have so much sec- success in Utah. And I mean, Utah played slow. Utah was that I looked it up his first year he went there, his best year. I mean, Utah was 25th in the league in pace. He's never really played for a fast team. Very clearly, Rubio is now playing for the coach who prioritizes modern basketball way more than any other coach he's ever played for. And I don't know what that's all going to mean. But I did ask Rubio about it after the game tonight. Just sort of big picture, like, you know, what's it like to sort of grow up in the league in the analytics movement? Ricky, it's kind of a bigger picture question. Just over the 10 years of your career, like the whole analytics thing has really, you know, kicked in where teams are prioritizing layups and threes and playing fast a lot more now than they were when you were a rookie. And I'm curious how, how you find that balance on a team that's now going to really lean into that by doing the analytically sound thing while also playing basketball, you know, just the way that you're feeling everyone feels comfortable playing. Yeah, for a pointer like me, I uh, used to play one one way, and of course you have to adapt to everything that's going on, but going to the extreme, it's hard. It doesn't feel basketball, but I understand the point of playing through analytics and playing through uh, stats. But at the end of the day, we are players too who have a feel for the game. And sometimes, of, of course, mid-range is not a good shot nowadays in NBA, which 10, 15 years ago, it was the shot to go or a mid-range. But sometimes to get comfortable with the game and all the stuff, you need that mid-range shot. So it's, it's, it's a gray area and uh, it's, it's hard to adapt. Imagine in the middle of a season, Uh, if you have the preseason to really play through it and, and get all the stuff together, it's easier. But um, it's the first time that I'm playing for a coach who, who I mean, all the coaches wanted like kind of that style, but a mix. Right now, it's all about that, and I understand, and I'm here to do what I'm told to do. But um, but it's hard to pick it up right away. It's it's gonna take time, and I think we did in Milwaukee. We we shot I don't know 50 plus threes. Uh, it's something that. We got to know that uh, shot selection, even if we want to play in a fast pace, got to be a good shot selection. It doesn't mean like shoot because you have to shoot because coach say you have to shoot. This is going to be interesting to track with Rubio. I mean, just by default, when we look back this season at everyone's numbers under Finch versus under Saunders, I mean, Rubio's obviously going to be better under Finch uh, just by default. I mean, the beginning of his season was just so bad. But I do 
wonder about him just in this scheme as a whole. And and just because of that, I wonder about his fit here long term. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was definitely the person on draft night thinking, you know, when the Wolves traded for Rubio that, you know, there's a pretty good chance that he plays out his career here, right? Like he's got two more years on his contract and then you could kind of see him, you know, signing for a discount, maybe being a backup point guard to, you know, to close out his, his career, whatever. But I just think that that idea is getting more and more naive by the day. I mean, even more so now with Finch. I mean, you can't help but wonder about the fit for Rubio in this Finch and Rosa's regime. I mean, the Wolves are at a place like financially, big picture. When we're thinking, when they're thinking about adding to this roster, I mean, Rubio's contract really gets in the way of that. The Wolves, right now, with the guys who are under contract for next season, they're already just one million dollars away from the luxury tax line. Their books are loaded. They literally can't add to the roster without going into the luxury tax, which means if they want to change things up at all, they either need to swap one contract for another same size contract or they need to dump a contract altogether and when you start going down the list of the wolves contracts it's hard to find many players other than rubio who fit the mold of a guy you could see being dumped who it would make any sort of financial impact i mean it just seems increasingly likely that rubio is the player who is used as the salary to make a big roster adjustment. And obviously we can play trade machine with all this, but if the Wolves are going to add a 20-some million dollar player, it's going to be because they trade Rubio and some other piece, some other salary fodder and maybe a future draft pick or something, and that's how they get you know a, a player who's in the 20-some millions. I mean, they obviously need to attach real assets onto that, but I mean... If that's going to happen, it's kind of got to be Rubio. Or maybe it's just Rubio straight up traded for a bad contract that expires at the end of this season just so that money is off the books next year so the Wolves aren't right up against the luxury tax. I'm I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion, you know, but Rubio's gone. Who knows? We'll see how this plays out. Maybe he'll fit this style really well. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. I'm just saying this is, is a style that is different than any previous ecosystem that Rubio has played in and had success in. And that's, you know, that's worth monitoring because Rubio matters on this team, if for no other reason than his contract. All right, that's all I got for tonight. Um, Two days off for the Wolves, which is, that hasn't happened in forever. I think it's literally been like seven weeks since the Wolves have had two days off between games, which I am pretty pumped about. No gamer pods from me for the rest of the week, days. Uh, Saturday night, obviously after the game, I'll be back. Uh, they play Washington, in Washington. I might squeeze in um, a guest on Thursday or Friday for a pod. Um, but this is also, I don't know, we'll see what happens there. This is also, uh, more importantly, a break for the Wolves, not just for me. They, they've got two days you know, to start putting in some Finch stuff. I'd, I'd assume we see some more wrinkles on Saturday against the Wizards, and then on Sunday against the Suns. Either way, I will for sure be back to talk about those two games. And, you know, we'll see what's up then. But until then, I'm Dane. Thank you for listening. Peace out.
so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let Santa's ever ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else.